well, that's not that much. Once you start to put it into dollar amounts, you were to start with $100,000 and compound both of those numbers out, the average equity investor would turn $100,000 into $789,000, while the index would have turned $100,000 into north of $2 million. So once you start to finally put dollar amounts on these things, it can make that realization of some of the, the returns that are being underperformed by the average equity investor really kind of startling over those longer periods of time. The following presentation by New Square Capital LLC is intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from New Square or any other investment professional of your choosing. Please see additional important disclosure at the end of this presentation. A copy of New Square's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory fees and services is available upon request at newsquarecapital.com. Since our beginning more than a decade ago, New Square Capital has based its investment approach on what has been proven to work combined with discipline and execution. We rely on facts, not hunches or impulses, and we know that wealth is built over the long term. Our goal with this podcast is to share what we've learned and provide insights that can be implemented with an intentional process and consistency over time. Although investing should be simple, it isn't always easy. That's where discipline comes in, something we like to think is a hallmark of our firm. A good investor is an informed investor, which is why we are excited to share our insights with you. Let's go now to the Wall Street Less Traveled podcast. Hello, listeners. This is MJ Durkin, the host of the Wall Street Less Traveled podcast. We are really excited that you are here. We are going to be having an amazing discussion with uh, two gentlemen that you know if you follow the podcast. Uh, we have Joseph Rosello. Uh, he is the chairman and CEO of New Square Capital. And of course, we have Ryan Kirk. He is the president and head of portfolio management at New Square Capital. Gentlemen, how are you today? Good afternoon, MJ. Always a pleasure to be here. MJ, it's always great to have these conversations. So excited to get into another one. We are going to, uh, as they say in another program, uh, <laughs> are you ready to rumble? <laughs> Uh, we, are. we are ready to rumble. So today we're going to be uh, talking about uh, investor behavior. Uh, and Joseph, I, I'm going to throw it over to you and ask you to uh, just kind of introduce the idea and the, the topic and kind of set the stage for us a little bit. Yeah, investor behavior is uh, always near and dear to our heart. Um, we talk about it all the time. It's It's in all of our communications. We think that this is an appropriate time given all the heightened concerns that are out there, particularly driven by the events of a few weeks ago, the, the collapse of uh, uh, the Silicon Valley Bank and then a couple of other banks to follow, although it seems contained, um, it, this drives emotions in the markets. So um, there's a thing out there called behavior finance. What is it? What is behavior finance? Where did it come from? Well, it's the psychological talks about the psychological influence on investors and the impact that those investors have on financial markets. It helps us to identify and explain the inefficiencies and the mispricing of financial markets. I hope that it's no surprise to our listeners today that humans and financial markets are not always rational. I think that's a that's a good thing to presume that everybody knows that. And the decisions that they make at times are often flawed. 
Now, I've been at this a long time, and there's a popular theory out there uh, that the stock market and the bond market as well moves in rational and predictable ways. Well, I'm here to say that that doesn't always hold up under scrutiny. Everybody agree with that, I think, right? MJ, right? It's, oh, yeah. It's a, it's a common um, it's a common thought. Out. So in reality, markets are full of inefficiencies due to investors' flawed thinking about price and risk. That's why we like to talk about this. All of us, all of us are prone to emotional swings, particularly at these particular at these times that are that we're we're experiencing right now. We talked about 2022, the most challenging market since 0809. We've seen now some of the unintended consequences of uh, a zero interest rate policy uh, for the last 13 years. We're, we're starting to see that stuff come out. And we didn't get a V-shaped recovery here like we've had um, in, uh, in 18 and we had in 2020. And I can confess I personally can confess that I was an I, I I was an emotional investor early in my career, midway through my career, making the same mistakes that you know investors make from time to time. What are they selling my winners, keeping my losers, never thinking that certain stocks would never have to be sold, like we experienced in 2022, right? Why sell the mega stocks like Amazon, Netflix, Flix? Tesla and the video, all the mega cap stocks that have rewarded investors tremendously over the last 10 years or so. Well, many of those stocks were down, I don't know, anywhere from 35 to 80% off their highs. That is hard to come, come back from. Just like there's always a right time to buy a stock, there's always a good time to sell a stock. So I love that, Joseph. Uh, I, I love what you said. You, you know, I, I was an emotion. I've been an emotional investor. You said, I confess <laughs> he's in, he's in the confessional. He's in the confessional. And he says, I confess to selling my winners and keeping my losers. That is one of the most emotional statements or, or, uh, uh the repercussions of emotional, uh, moves. I think I've ever heard selling my winners and keeping my losers. So common, common mistake, MJ, it's a common mistake. Yeah, well, it get, if you're selling your winners and you're keeping your losers, you are uh, you're making emotional decisions and you're not investing for the long term, right? Correct. That's absolutely right. Yes. So, so Ryan Kirk, uh, as as the, uh, the the head of portfolio management, uh, and and you've studied this stuff upside and down and and three ways to Sunday, as they used to say, uh, you. Um, you look at uh, you actually have a study that you reference. It's called the Dalbar study, and uh, this study uh, really um, has some very interesting statistics about what uh, the way investors behave. Uh, tell us a little bit about that study and and why you think it's valid, and then then let's see if we can delve into it and bounce it back between the two of you and and discuss it. Well, you guys were just talking about some of those things that investors struggle with, and that's really the where the irrationality of all of this comes in. And I think if everyone takes a step back, all of us as investors, everyone should want to identify and take advantage of anything that we can to become a better investor. It's a 
You know, are you trying to start a 100-meter race at the 120-meter mark? No, you want to get every advantage that you can to try to beat out the competition. Um, and before we get into it, the punchline in all of this is that many, many mistakes can be uh, described by or corrected by some of these emotional components. Um, and these things are studied a lot, and some companies do a better job of doing that. And that's what Joseph mentioned earlier, that it's this, this company uh, called Dalbar that's been around really since the, the mid-70s. They started doing this particular report in the mid-80s. So it's been around a long time. And Dalbar is an independent investment research firm, and they published this for all these decades. And really what it shows is that investor performance... Um, you know, where investors, how many investors would want more discipline and the ability to capture some benefits that the market can provide over the longer term and what they do in getting in their own way in trying to accomplish those things. So they've got all the data that we need to look at because as a firm at New Square Capital, we tend to look at things, we want the truth of it all. And to us, Data is truth, right? Data educates and it proves these things. So I think going into how and why we use some of these these numbers uh, would make a lot of sense because uh, Joseph can tell you, any other member of New Square's team can tell you, through the conversations that we have, it's always good to have the numbers to back it up. And this study does a phenomenal job of doing just that. Excellent. Excellent. So... Um... Uh, you, do you want to get into talking about um, how and why you use the the numbers and the data, and kind of give educate us a, a little bit on and how it can help investors? Yeah, without a doubt, I think. Yeah, uh, if I could, I if I could jump in here just for one second before you sure. start those numbers. Um, the reason why we we like to look at this data because the proof is in the pudding, right? It's you know we swim against the tide. Um, in terms of the way we uh, try to educate um, uh, and work with our advisors and our clients, it, it's it's a, it's it's a difficult thing when 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 people are using their emotions to manage their decisions in markets. So we we talk about the long term and and uh, people get caught up in the moment, and our feeling is. That's when you have to step back and look at your plan. I keep on repeating that because it's critically important. Uh, so we love this data because it proves exactly what we say when you're not, when you're using emotions to manage your money, you, you see what happens. Okay. Th these are the, these are the results. They're studying you. What they're, what they're looking at is they're looking at investors. Who basically over short term, mid term, long term, what results they bring uh, when emotions get in the way? Nice. So, 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 so Ryan, you're going to talk to us about um, what what the actual impact is of uh, when people use their emotions to manage their money. That's what the the study shows or the report brings out. And, th and that's the great thing: the numbers show the impact. And when you finally get to look at it, it's it's kind of astonishing when you look at some of these. And as a, a colleague of mine that's on this call, he likes to say that sunshine is the best disinfectant. Going and actually seeing the truth of it all through 
through the actual data that has been studied for decades. So just to set the stage on the methodology that's used, this company, Dalbar, goes and gets the, the, the data from investment company institutes, Standard & Poor's, Barclays Capital, and some other proprietary sources. And what they do is they compare mutual fund investor returns. Um, and they take whatever period they're, they're utilizing and they look at mutual fund sales, redemptions, and exchanges each month as a measure of investor behavior. So then once you get that information, you can take that information and measure it against whatever the index would be, whether that's an equity index or a bond index. And looking at the latest reports, um, it, it reaffirms all of the data from these past research reports. So the most recent one that, that we have access to what it what it affirms is that fund investors who remained patient and didn't focus on these short-term gyrations as Joseph was just talking about were significantly more successful than those who let their emotions override a longer-term strategy when they're trying to build wealth. So if you look at the most recent one and you look at the 30 years that it measures, so this is a period of time ending in... in 2021, so from the early 1990s to 2021, the average equity investor got a little bit over a 7.1% rate of return, which seems to be respectable over a 30-year period of time. I think we could all, especially right now with some of the turmoil that we've gone through in the market, you know, hey, if you can give me a 7.1% rate of return, I might take that. Yeah. Problem is, when you start to compare it to your sort of standard equity benchmarks, the average equity investor turned that 7.1% rate of return. Um, excuse me, they, they, they compare that 7.1% rate of return to what the index got, which was 10.65%. So that is a 350 basis points or 3.5% per year for 30 years that the average equity investor is missing out on. And again, even looking at that, some people might say, well, that's not that much. Once you start to put it into dollar amounts, if you were to start with $100,000 and compound both of those numbers out, the average equity investor would turn $100,000 into $789,000, while the index would have turned $100,000 into north of $2 million. So once you start to finally put dollar amounts on these things, it can make that realization of some of the, the returns that are being underperformed by the average equity investor really kind of startling over those longer periods of time. I'll add that we can look at these things and the study looks at these things in these shorter term time periods too, as Joseph just alluded to. And forget about the 30-year rate of return, which I think all of us as investors, we want a 30-year time period and all the good that comes with being able to compound over a 30-year time period. But even some of these shorter-term periods, if you look at just the last two studies out of Dalbla, so ending market ending 2020 and market ending 2021, we're about to get the 2022 data. So maybe we'll have to do an update mm. for all of this information when we get those numbers. But the that's last probably, two... That are, right, that's probably not going to change. We're going to see the same... We're going to see the... Uh, the same type of behavior, right? Correct. That You're right on the long term. The the numbers aren't going to change on the long term. The 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 comparison there is just look at the last two short term periods of time, and by short term, just 
the last two calendar years. So in 2020, to give you the numbers, it was actually a pretty good year for the average equity investor. The index did 18.4%. The average equity investor still underperformed, yet it wasn't by all that much. It was only by 1.3% for that calendar year. So a good number by all historical standards. Fast forward to the next calendar year, 2021, when things really started to kind of unwind in the market. And we saw the first you know, bits of trouble start to pop up from a market standpoint. For that calendar year, the average investor got 18.4% when the index got 28.7%. So it was, it was 10 percentage points that they underperformed by. The, and it, based on this study, it was the largest annual gap since 1984, 1985, when this study began. So it just goes to show you these short-term periods, it's, it's really anybody's guess how that works out. But the long-term tends to show that, that similar underperformance over time. And one more thing, just to add some more context to it, we're giving all the equity numbers here. The study also does fixed income. And fixed income, it is... It is the same types of behavior and underperformance that comes from it. It's anywhere between three to four to five percent per year versus your standard fixed income benchmark. And that type of um, decisions that are made and then subsequent underperformance hurts all invest, not just not just the worst of the investors. It hurts or has hurt in in past. Every single investor that's ever sort of uh, touched foot onto the playing floor field of the of the investment markets. Well said. So, Joseph, uh, see see if you can give us your perspective on uh, those numbers and tell tell us what it uh, what it tells us. You know, it kind of kind of delve into it and and I mean, is that is that a result of uh, you know the 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 lower the lower numbers? Is that a result of the erratic investor? you know, making those fast, short-term decisions, selling their winners, keeping their losers? I'm sure that there's there's a, a you know, a number of different emotions that drive it. Uh, fear is a big one. Um, uh, impatience is another big one. Uh, people are not being patient. Um, fear of missing out is another one. They see other stocks um, high-flying and theirs might be just, you know, not be, they may not be at that point in the market cycle just yet. But even in even in models that we manage at New Square Capital, MJ, um, what Ryan's talking talking about bears out. It, it when we look at our longer term models, models that have been with us for quite some time, we see that um, they get through the troubled times and they either get to their bench or do they do better than their bench. A, a large percentage of our models do that. Um, not just bragging on New Square Capital. What I'm saying is is that. Um, to build wealth in markets, it takes patience and you can't let your emotions get the best of you. You have to step back in times like this. You have to examine your plan. There's help. You know, you have to believe in a system, right? You have, you have to believe in a system. It's, it's, it's finest system of, of, of money management that suits you, your risk profile, the advisor that you're working for. They're the kinds of things in times like this. And I know that there's advisors listening to this call that that in this market, this period of market volatility, 
that are out there talking to their clients, calming their clients. Their clients want to hear from them. The same thing with clients, okay? You know, talk to your financial. There's always help out there. It's always best to just step back from it all, look what you have, what your allocations are. We say the same thing over and over again. And, you know, forget about trying to predict markets over one quarter to the next quarter. And, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of Wall Street plays to that kind of psychology. Um, As I said in the beginning, this is hard work. You know, it's hard work to think through um, your 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 risk profile and your market, your your portfolio allocation and be able to say, I'm committed to this for seven years. I'm committed to this for 10 years. And, And I think Ryan raises a great point. Oh, gee, I only missed by 200 basis points or 300 basis points in terms of my benchmark. Well, the miracle of compounding will tell you that 200 to 300 basis points becomes significant over a five-year period, over a seven-year period, or over a 10-year period. So I I would just, again, say um, to our investors and our advisors out there, these are the times where you need to be talking, looking at your plan, make sure that it's solid, know that you, you have a plan that's going to get you through these turbulent markets. And- Joseph, yeah, you just mentioned something very important, and it bears itself out in these reports time and time again. And one uh, that we were looking at from from a couple of years ago within the report is they can also measure if investors guess right about the direction of the market. So they say, okay, let's see where investor fund flows went into or out of funds, and then did the market the next month go up or down? So they can essentially guess. Or, or think they know where the market's going to go. And even in the years where investors, quote unquote, guess right, or end up putting capital in the direction of where the market went the following month, the average investor was not able to keep pace with the market even in that given year, based on this actual data of following the volume and the timing of these fund flows. So when I hear that, I go, wow, you can even be right on the general direction of the market majority of the time and still get yourself into trouble because of these same emotional pain points that you go through and to me the 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 most you know amazing i think stat in all of this as if the compounding stats that we just gave don't do don't do it justice this one was that no evidence has been found to link predictably poor investment recommendation to average investor underperformance. So the analysis of this shows that underperformance is the investor behavior is the number one cause. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that again a little bit differently. If you get a bad recommendation from anybody, from an advisor, from a, from a, a friend of yours, there's been no evidence to show that even a poor investment recommendation will drive investor underperformance. So the biggest thing here is, is going back to trying to correct this investor behavior issue because that has been shown based on the data, not just because of something that New Square Capital is saying, based on the data that shows that investor behavior is really where the pain points and all of this is. And 
I think if hearing this, at least in our opinion, investors do one of two things with this. They either say, you know what, that's not me. I hear what you're saying, but but that's not me. I don't respond that way. Right? I've got a good head on my shoulders and I'm not going to respond that way. Okay. The second way investors react is kind of how we view the data is let me understand the data and let me try to cut down on my own learning curve on trying to get to the end, the, 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 the investment end game that I have in mind. Because if we can learn from the mistakes of the past, from all the investors that came before us, knowing that if we don't do anything differently, we're going to repeat all the same mistakes that those investors who came before us already made. If we can take the data, internalize it, and turn it into a positive for us, that's where we want to spend the majority of our time trying to correct these things. I just would add to that, MJ, that, that that's what's helped me. Knowledge is power. Um, that's why we love to look at these numbers, because it, it's, not, it, it, it's not instincts that are telling us that that's what's going on. It's, it, it's, it, it's, it's the, the, the proof are in the numbers and in the data. Um, and, and one, of the, you know, one of the biggest mistakes, to Ryan's point, investors, investors who are impatient or think that they're missing out, they'll, they'll, they'll chase performance. In other words, they'll chase the portfolio that performed in that, uh, in, that, in that year before and say, I'll get rid of what I have and I'll move to this portfolio because it's, 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 it's proven to, uh, it, it, it had a better year last year. The data there is replete as well. Clients to chase it, it chase performance, past performance, and think that they're going to be better off. The data the data shows exactly the same. They they wind up whipsawing themselves. So, Ryan, I have a question for you because we often get this as well. Uh, underperformance, right? Underperformance is, and by the way, short term underperformance, one quarter to the next, one year underperformance, two year. What do we say to our investors out there that we know that are in a good plan and a good model where risk is managed, and we see three or four years of un, some un, you know underperformance versus the benchmark? How do we you know let let's talk to those clients out there uh, because the Dalbar study shows right the average investor holds what about three and a half years right and then they move on to the next thing. So what do we say to those clients out there? They're saying, well, gee, I've been in that portfolio for three years, four years. It's not doing that great against its benchmark. Um, we we feel pretty good about the risk management in the and we know that in the in the right kinds of times that port, these kinds of portfolios are going to do what they're supposed to do. How do how do we talk to those clients and those advisors out there? Uh, underperformance in any portfolio. Um over certain periods of time tends to be a, a trait of the portfolio, not a bug. So it's going to happen. And coming to terms with that inevitability that it's going to happen, where the difficult part, I think, lies with, with an investor is knowing the difference between it being a regular occurrence for a portfolio to maybe go through some periods of underperformance versus saying that the strategy is broken. And the only way to do that in our estimation is to really know the process of the portfolio and have a belief in that process and know that it might have historical context of working over time. Because as, again, 
different study uh, than the one that we're talking about today, but shows that even the very best of managers over time go through those common three, four, five year periods of underperformance. But at the end of that cycle, they come out on top. And again, it's because they stick to whatever their process happens to be. If they're a value investor, if they're a growth investor, if they're a fixed income investor, that information to us is so powerful because rather than getting stuck in, wow, this is, I'm at a, I'm at a period of time where I can't take it anymore. It's more of, I want to focus on what the process is because I know if I'm part of a good process, I'll be able to get the just desserts of that portfolio over time by not necessarily making some of these uh, behavioral mistakes that we've seen made along the way by all these investors. And we shared, we shared, uh, we shared the data on, on uh, the, the, the Joel Greenblatt study, um, uh, the 10 year period uh, where the top managers ultimately uh, beat their benchmark uh, over the 10 year period, but they found themselves a uh, different percentage of the time. I'm not going to quote the study, but at least three years where they found themselves either in the in the in the bottom 50%, the bottom 25%, or the bottom 10%. Yet over the over that 10-year period, when you look at their performance, they actually on an annual basis beat their benchmark. So I think it's important for, for people to understand that underperformance is part of investing, right? It, it's it's it goes along periods of underperformance, but over the long term. If you got the right price, as you said, right, the right process, the right model, uh, you'll come through those difficult periods of underperformance, and over the long time, you'll get you'll get your outperformance. Data is truth. I love that one. That is that's hot. Data is truth. I also love your your comment about the person who says, "Oh, that's not me. I don't I don't do that." I have I have another group of friends that say denial is uh, not a river in Egypt. Uh, so <laughs> you could you could deny that that's not you all you want, but if you're if you're moving if you're moving your stuff around every three years and you're acting emotionally and you're watching the news, how, how much do you uh, do you recommend that people watch the daily news about investing and uh, you know? Every, now, ever, ever since I've been hosting uh, the uh, the Wall Street Less Traveled podcast, every time I get in my car and I, I hear a, a news report, I, I hear, you know, stocks up, stocks down. I think, oh, I think immediately of New Square Capital. Like, well, big mistake. I mean, <laughs> you know, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have televisions in our space at New Square Capital. Um, you've heard us say it before, but CNBC is public enemy number one, right? Um, and and uh, I, I you know I guess they need to attract viewers, but you know you look at this you know Silicon Valley Bank. I mean they, yeah. I, I won't mention the person's name, but it was on his buy list. You know it's it's a lot of analysts had it had it on his buy list. So you know it's I I would tell our viewers out there that uh, yeah you can you can look at the market and and get you know. See if the Dow's up or down. See if the the S and B's up or down. But really, there's there's really no advantage in in you know looking, watching the watching the news uh, on a daily basis. You know this is affecting the market today. Something else tomorrow. It just it just really is a, a waste of your time. Well, if you want to if you want to watch the news and pick your stocks, um, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> caveat emptor. <laughs> Buyer beware. That uh, I, I heard a report the other day that said uh, that uh, <laughs> that personality that endorsed SVB, um, <laughs> whatever he endorses, go the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Flipping a coin is right more than that person. Yes, uh, to, to give you an example, right? I like it. Yeah, so uh, he's 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 entertaining though. <laughs> so do you want to be entertained, or do you want an extra when you retire? Would you rather have seven hundred and fifty thousand or two million? Uh, that's the you know that's the the bottom line based on the the data we just discussed. As we go to to land this plane today. Uh, Talk to us. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with Ryan and then ask Joseph to um, to finish up. What what kind of actions um, should investors be taking right now? What what how should they be feeling about the future, Ryan? Yeah, I think there's some big takeaways to gather from some of this data and from some of these reports. Not just this particular one, but any of the ones that show similar data and how we react as human beings. Because again, this is not pointing the finger at anyone. This is all of us struggle with this because we are all human beings. So I think if there's an ability to, I'll use the word fix, that's probably the wrong word, but an ability to fix some of these potential mistakes is that we have to educate ourselves up front before we put a dollar into the investment markets, educate ourselves on what some of these risks, these emotional risks, and how they could rear their ugly heads. Because you're going to go through periods of time in the market where it gets a little bit choppy and it gets a little bit scary. I don't know. I don't care if you're in markets for a week or 50 years. You're going to go through those types of choppy, scary market environments. So educating yourself up front with some of this information. Secondly, I would say... For, for again, advisors um, and, and investors is to do this education repeatedly. It is not a one and done type of thing. It is something that is always there. It will always be there. Uh, human behavior does not change. And we know that human behavior ultimately drives what's going on in the market. So trying to do this repeatedly, never forgetting the, the lessons that are available here those would probably be two of the main takeaways of just really looking at this data and trying to make any sense of it to make it an advantage for us as opposed to a disadvantage. Nice. R really well said. And, and Joseph, I, I want to hear your, your thoughts on that, your, your, your locker room speech, if we would, um, for investors for the future. And, and also, could you discuss you know, uh, something that, that uh, Ryan had said previously uh, to me, he said, you know, people really need help and they need a good coach. Talk to us about how important uh, a coach is, especially if you if you don't have denial and you are one of those emotional investors and you you want to commit to this long term strategy and get that that extra three point five percent. How important is a coach and, and what do, what do investors have going for them in the future? Yeah, no, I, I think that the, the coach is critically important. Um, and the, the reason why we continue to talk about this topic and how investors hurt themselves, because I think that the financial advisor um, working with the client, uh, starting from the beginning, talking about 
once they understand the risk profile, we've said these things over and over again. Once they understand the risk profile, you got to let the client know at that time, there will be periods of disappointment in this strategy. No one has a crystal ball. Um, However, our goal over a full market cycle, and we like to say seven to 10 years on a full market cycle because it doesn't always happen, but over that period of time, we believe you'll see every type of market, a bull market, a bear market, you know, you know, 10% drawdowns, 50%, 15% drawdowns. Let them know that there'll be periods of disappointment, but we'll talk to you through those during those periods. What's working, what's not working. That's the kind of coaching. And and I think that the advisors uh, that do that um, and make a habit of that are no longer surprised by the reaction of the client. The client wants to hear from you in those periods of time. That's the kind of coaching that that's the kind of coaching that is necessary and needed. That's when the financial advert, in my viewpoint, that's when the financial advisor earns their keep, right? That's coaching them through those difficult times, the proper way to invest, how 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 risk is managed in the portfolio. I I you know, let be transparent. Be 100% tra- transparent when 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 a portfolio is struggling okay understand why it is why it is struggling our best financial advisors comes they come to us in those periods what's going on in the portfolio why isn't it working at this particular time we can explain those things uh so i i you know in terms of what you know how ryan how ryan explained this in, in terms of uh you know, finding the right system. It's worked for me. I've learned from my mistakes. So, and working with a professional um, that does this day in and day out is critically important. Um, and and that that becomes your financial coach at that particular, in these particular times. I mean, throughout your investment career, but certainly in the most difficult times. And and these are, you know, these are pretty challenging times because there is a lot of volatility. There's always bad news out there. And we could we could pick a lot of things in terms of news and how it's but what is impacting markets, what's not impacting markets. Um, you have to shut that stuff out. You have to shut that stuff out at some point because I mean, look at 2008 and 2009, the whole financial system was hanging in the balance. We got through it. It was challenging and it took a lot of wealth away. Um, from clients in 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 that market crash, uh, we we've gone through it in 2022. Uh, as I said, the, the average investors, the average investor down 38 to 40 percent. I'm not sure what they were doing. Were they guessing? Were they using bad behavior at that time? Maybe they needed the coach and they didn't have the coach. So they're the kinds of things that I think they're critically important uh, at all times in markets, but particularly through. Uh, the turbulent markets that we're experience right, experiencing right now. Awesome, awesome, Ryan. Anything to uh, to punctuate that with and about what you're, what you feel that uh, investors have going for them in the future? Final sentence. Final sentence is when you look at this stuff. Um, even having a, a coach and learning from the information that we may have shared today. It's not going to solve solve all the issues, right? None of us have a crystal ball knowing where the market's going to go, but it is a great tool to have at your disposal in trying to navigate markets on a go forward basis. And at a certain point, 
grabbing a lot more uh, better and better tools along the way is probably the best that we can do over time. I love it. Very well said. Very well said. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, this discussion talking about uh, investor behavior and the impact that it has on markets. Um, Really fascinating stuff. Uh, Thank you so much for your time today. We know you're busy, but uh, thanks for being here today on the podcast to share your wisdom with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, MJ. Yep. Always good talk. Always a great conversation. And uh, to all of our listeners, uh, let us say that uh, we really appreciate you listening. Um, We appreciate your five-star ratings. Uh, We appreciate your uh, reviews. And of course, uh, we would recommend uh, if you uh, feel like uh, the Wall Street Less Traveled podcast is educating you, helping you to understand things, inspiring you, uh, please feel free to uh, hit the share button. All of the various podcast services out there, uh, Google, Apple, uh, uh, Spotify, everybody has a share button. It's usually those three little buttons that you can you can click on and then hit share. Uh, feel free to uh, send this to a friend, someone you work with, and say, uh, hey, you want to get in on this conversation from uh, New Square Capital. Uh, so Joseph Rosello and Ryan Kirk, thank you so much for being here. And we will see you all on the next episode of the Wall Street Less Traveled podcast. That concludes this episode of the Wall Street Less Traveled podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Be sure to tune in regularly for new episodes and get connected to the ideas, information, and insights that will help you succeed. We'll see you on the next episode. The previous presentation by New Square Capital LLC was intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation services serves as receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from New Square or any other investment professional of your choosing. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and it should not be assumed that future performance of any specific investment or investment strategy or any non-investment related or planning services, discussion, or content will be profitable, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. New Square is neither a law firm nor an accounting firm, and no portion of its services should be considered construed as legal or accounting advice. No portion of the video or podcast content should be construed by a client or prospective client as a guarantee that he or she will experience a certain level of results if NewSquare is engaged or continues to be engaged to provide investment advisory services. A copy of NewSquare's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at NewSquareCapital.com.